After 20 years of evading U.S. forces, Afghan forces, and NATO forces, and hiding in caves, the Taliban have finally emerged, and within, I don't know, 14 days, less than two weeks, they have swept through the nation of Afghanistan, they have waltzed up to the capital, Kabul, they knocked on the gates, and the Afghan government and military simply handed over the keys. Time transporting Afghanistan back 20 years to 2001, erasing all the gains that that women and children, religious liberty, uh, freedom of press and freedom of speech had gained and earned and fought for over 20 years and nullifying all the loss of lives. Over two, nearly 250,000 lives combined between Afghanis, Pakistanis, and U.S. NATO forces were lost, including civilians in there, were lost in this 20-year period, re-ushering back into power the Taliban and the Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan. Hey, it's Lucas Scrobot, and you're listening to The Lucas Scrobot Show, where we uncover purpose, pursue truth, and own the future, episode 249. It is the late afternoon of August 15th, 2021, which is vitally important because by the time that you are listening to this, uh, most of what we'll talk are talking about will have already transpired. That is right now, as we speak, the, the president of Afghanistan, Ghani, he is resigning and he is signing power over to a transitionary government that will transform Afghanistan back into what it was, most likely, in the 90s, in 2001. It used to be the uh, the Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan under the Taliban rule, and that is exactly, ladies and gentlemen, what it is going back to. Now, this transition of power has been a, a peaceful one. There's the, the Taliban has met virtually no resistance as they've marched to the capital and at the capital in Kabul, no resistance. They they walked in, they asked the police to surrender, they did. They walked up to the presidential palace and hugs and kisses and they signed over the government without without any bullets fired, just like that. The, without any resistance, the, the Taliban now have seized military bases. They've seized the what used to be the largest uh, foreign operation, U.S. Uh, operation base, an Air Force base uh, in the Middle East. They've seized it. They've seized Humvees, uh, airplanes, Black Hawk helicopters, and they've now negotiated an interim uh, government or presidency that will transition Afghanistan from what they are today back into the Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan. They are, are putting into power, most likely, this transitionary uh, administration will be co-directed by Mullah Barada, a Taliban leader, and Ali Ahmed Jalali, who is the former Minister of Internal Affairs for Afghanistan and a former employee of the Voice of America, which is most likely a price that the Taliban knew they would have to pay in order to be recognized by the West, because that is extremely important. If the U.S. probably has not learned very much since uh, Vietnam, since 1975, apparently they've not learned much, but the Taliban certainly have. They've learned that 
if they want to be in power, they have to have the approval of some of the world powers. They need to at least have a level of recognition. And that is what they have gained. That is what they have won. And it's clear by the fact that there has been no resistance, that they just waltzed in, that they have they have enough leverage with world leaders and enough leverage within Afghanistan that they were able to do it. This this like a cakewalk. Well, if you remember back in July, uh, President Biden, as he was announcing his grandiose plans of, of pulling out of Afghanistan, he was asked at a press conference of whether or not he thought that Afghanistan would fall to the Taliban forces. This is what President uh, Biden had to say back in July, July 8th, I believe. Is a Taliban takeover of Afghanistan now inevitable? No, it is not. Because you have the Afghan troops have 300,000 well-equipped, as well-equipped as any army in the world and an air force against something like 75,000 Taliban. It is not inevitable. It's not inevitable, he says. He went on in this, in this press conference to say. There's going to be the Taliban overrunning everything and owning the whole country is highly unlikely. Four to six weeks later. Yeah, he was wrong. Four to six weeks later from this clip, everything fell apart for the U.S. NATO forces. And it's, it's somewhat of a baffling mystery. It's a mystery that here there's 300,000 well-trained troops that are, have military support, have an air force, that have vehicles. And yet there was no, there was no resistance. There's no standing up and, and fighting for their own country. It makes you wonder why. Why is this? And as I've been pondering this, this is my, my own thoughts on the matter. I don't have hardcore data. I don't have interviews to back this up. But my suspicion is that as districts began to fall, and as it was evident that the military was not going to resist the Taliban, where people were disheartened that here, here the, the American troops are leaving. We've been at war for 20 years. Are we going to hold on to the nation? Are we going to hold on to the rights and liberties that we have fought so hard for? As that's really what it is. It's not just a, well, it's not just an American idea of quote unquote democracy that was fought for, but there's actual women's rights, girls being able to go to school past the sixth grade. Girls not being forced into, into forced marriages as minors at, by, at, the, at the young age of 12 which is now happening. The Taliban forces are, are going around knocking on doors and saying, hey, do you have any young single girls? Because they're going to be forced married to our, our military men, our, our Taliban soldiers. It is already happening. It's not just this mythical idea of, quote unquote, the Western world freedom, but it's actual, it's actual civil rights that were fought for that the Afghan people valued and appreciated, as we'll get into later on in this episode, actually hearing from people on the ground and what they feel and think about everything that's happening. 
it is, it is heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking to see. And my suspicion is that as the people saw that the government was not going to rally, that the military was not going to rally, it would make sense to me to say, well, I'm not going to fight back against the Taliban because if, if indeed the government is just going to fold and fall over, that this was just a front that was being supported by the U.S. troops and forces for all, for all these 20 years, but there was no substance of backbone behind the military to unite against the Taliban, then I would almost in the same, same side be like, yeah, I'm not going to – try to fight against the Taliban as they roll through my city, as they roll through my military base. I'm just going to hand it over because I'm not going to be backed by the rest of the military. I'm not going to be backed by the U.S. government. I'm not going to be backed by NATO. So it's going to be better for me to surrender than try to fight and lose my life and have my family lose their lives. If there is no unified support, if the nation is going to be given over anyways, why should I resist? Why should I fight? That's my opinion. Well, apparently President Biden did not foresee this happening as we played in those clips. He said it was highly unlikely. This is nearly inconceivable. But here we are. Four to six weeks later from this clip, Afghanistan has fallen and Afghanistan is now turned into, or if not turning into, the, the Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan with the Taliban having taken full control over the military. Now, in the same press conference, there was another brilliant, nearly prophetic uh, question that was asked of President Biden, but uh, either he, either Biden just was blind or, and, and just didn't have the foresight, didn't want to see the possibilities of what would come from just pulling troops out without any sort of, uh, without any sort of checks, without any sort of negotiations, without any sort of uh, insurance to make sure that the nation would remain stable. Maybe he just didn't want to see it, or or maybe he didn't care to see it, or maybe no one saw this coming. But here is a Biden being asked about, is there any correlation, is there any resemblance between what has happened or what, at that point, would happen in Afghanistan and what happened all the way back in 1975 in Vietnam? Do you see any parallels between this withdrawal and what happened in Vietnam with some people feeling— None whatsoever. Zero. What you had is you had entire brigades breaking through the gates of our embassy. Six, if I'm not mistaken. The Taliban is not the, South, the North Vietnamese Army. They're not, they're not remotely comparable in terms of capability. There's going to be no circumstance where you see people being lifted off the roof of a embassy in the, of the United States from <laughs> Afghanistan. It well, is not at all comparable. Oh, man, he got this half right. He got this half right that it's not comparable to Vietnam because there was no fighting. There was the, the, the Taliban just walked into the city. They just walked through the nation with virtually zero resistance. There's a couple of cities where there was fighting and resistance for about a day. But other than that, the, the capital itself 
did not resist at all. But, and he kind of had half right, American troops weren't being pulled off of the roof of the uh, embassy. But helicopters right now are going back and forth trying to evacuate all the American citizens, all the U.S. staff, destroy the, the sensitive documents within the, the embassy. There have been videos coming out of stacks of black smoke coming out from the embassy as they burn sensitive documents and, and work to destroy everything. Biden even was <laughs> caught, was even begging, begging the Taliban, please, please, please. Whatever you do, don't don't take our embassy. Don't take our embassy. You know, if if you're coming into into the capital, spare our embassy, please. And I'm sure the 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 Taliban probably will do that because they know that if if they strike back against the U.S. forces as they are running, well. <laughs> If, if you're going to kick a dog as it runs, the dog is likely to turn around and nip you and bite you. And they don't want that. They have they have their victory. America is pulling out. So it makes sense that they are not going to storm the U.S. Uh, embassy. So Biden has it half right. But when you look at pictures from 1975 in Saigon in, in Vietnam, where helicopters were flying over the U.S. embassy, pulling people out. Pulling uh, Vietnamese out of Vietnam as they slowly pulled the Americans out of the embassy. The, the intentionally, these helicopters were sent just to get the, the American staff and to get the ambassador. But the ambassador said, no way am I going to just abandon all these South Vietnamese people. They are getting on these helicopters too. And so they, they evacuated uh, hundreds of South Vietnamese people from the U.S. embassy. And the same thing is happening right now. We have a similar image from the embassy in Afghanistan with, uh, with a helicopter flying over the embassy, landing on the embassy grounds, pulling out U.S. staff, translators, people who've worked with the U.S. military. And the situation there outside, outside of the embassy is quite horrible. There are, the, the streets are packed with cars, jam-packed. The, the, the military bases have fallen to the Taliban. The airport has fallen to the Taliban. Uh, people were, have been trying to get out for days. And yet now all of the boarding, border crossings, all of the border crossings are controlled by the Taliban. I saw an image of, of people standing in line trying to get passports so that they could attempt to leave the country. The line was five. There's one office in Kabul. The line was 5,000 people long. Another image of the, the one office where you can get a, a special emergency visa as a, a political refugee to America or Can Canada or even Qatar right now. They're taking some people. There's one guy who's doing the English translation with hundreds of people packed and standing in line, and that was uh, shut down by the Taliban. So wh when he says, oh, there's no resemblance, there's no resemblance between what has happened in 1975 and what's happening today in Afghanistan. In fact, no, 
there's nothing but resemblance. There's nothing but resemblance in, in a 20-year war that has now amounted in nothing. And just the, the tucking tail and running. There, there's nothing but resemblance between people fighting and, and running to get out. A lot of people I've heard, you know, say, well, you know, what do the people on the ground think? Maybe, maybe this is a positive thing. It's not a positive thing when people are, are rushing to the airports, when the, the streets are packed and crowded as people are trying to flee the city because they fear for their lives. Oftentimes, we like to make these, these correlations that, oh, well, you know, America and the American troops are no worse than the Taliban and the, and the Taliban troops. If that is true, if that is true, then why is everyone trying to get out? Why are people fleeing? There's actually a, a vast difference. There is a vast difference. It doesn't mean that America is without corruption. It doesn't mean that American troops haven't done wicked things. That is all true. It doesn't mean that there, there is no blood on our hands. It doesn't even mean that we had a – that going into Afghanistan was a good idea in the first place. But I am saying it, it says something when you see the people of Afghanistan fleeing to get out because they do not want to be under the regime of the Taliban. This – I don't know who this is good for. It doesn't seem like this would be a, a very good move for U.S. policy to just let this happen or for their, their standing in the world. Uh, Russia, however, and China, they have – made relationships with the Taliban and the, the Talibani government. The, the Russian embassy is staying there in, uh, in Kabul. I know that the UK is, is trying to get their people out, uh, as well as India is getting their people out. As a matter of fact, the Taliban has, has sieged, and, and not even sieged, it wasn't even a war, have, have entered into Kabul today on the 15th, which is the anniversary of India's independence. And some of my sources are saying that that is intentional because India is, has not opened up any sort of diplomatic relationships with the Taliban. And so the fact that the Taliban is pushing forward so quickly to move in and sign power on the same day of Indian independence, many people think that this is a, a, uh, a wink, not a, a happy wink, but a wink in saying any sort of resistance or, or counteractions from the Indian government will not be tolerated. We have our eye on you. We know what's going on. Uh, all in all, this is shocking, of course. I do not think people saw this coming. People, people said, you know, within a couple of weeks, Kabul might fall, and then it was within 72 hours, Kabul might fall, and now it's it was 48 hours later. Not and not only did was there no resistance, but the the president resigned. And and I again, I have a level of empathy after 20 years of fighting, 20 years of bloodshed. The president Rani said in a previous statement, "I will not let." The imposed war on people cause more deaths. That's what he said. He's like, you know what? We have had so many deaths. I am not going to continue this war. In other words, if 
the Taliban come in, I am going to fold and I'm going to give them power because I do not want to see any more bloodshed of the Afghan people. Now, it, time will tell. Time will tell what is true regarding this. But the question, the, the question stands for so many is, OK, are we are we giving up and, and are we winning a temporary victory, if you'd call it, of lives to saying, OK, we're not going to go to war right now. We're not going to fight now. We're not going to resist now. We're going to preserve lives now so that in the future we can we can be preserved. Are we going to save lives now? But what happens when the Taliban truly go back to, to how they were in the 90s? Will they suffer a greater loss later? Will they suffer a greater loss under that regime? Will their children and their girls suffer a greater loss underneath that regime? And it would have been better if they fought now, better if they stood their ground now and made sure that not one of those provinces were lost to the Taliban starting a number of weeks ago, which would have signaled strength to their military. But instead, weakness was signaled and and the Taliban has has now come into power. And uh, that ends that ends a 20 year conflict. And that does it does put it on the same footing, the same ground. We're seeing nearly identical images from Vietnam from in 1975 to what we're seeing today in Afghanistan in 2021. Yeah, that makes sense. In a post-truth society where we have exchanged truth for lies and reason for postmodern irrationality, the absurd finally makes sense. And there is a lot of absurdity that is going on uh, in the geopolitics surrounding what has happened and is happening right now in Afghanistan. Here is Jen Psaki uh, commenting on uh, the Taliban's place in the in the international community. The Taliban also has to make an assessment about what they want their role to be in the international community. The Taliban has to make an assessment of who and where they want to be in the international community. Now, this, this idea, it comes back to some things we've touched on already in today's show, is that multiculturalism is a good thing. And yes, it's great to have diversity. Not everyone needs to be cookie-cutter shake, shapes. Uh, there are a multitude of cultures in the world, and it's great that each culture has their own expression. I love that. But what gets tricky is when it becomes not just an embracing of diversity in multiple cultures, but it becomes multiculturalism. Within multiculturalism, it's this idea that the idea is that every idea has equal footing, that everyone's cultural is equally good, that everyone, you know, some people might express their, their politics differently, but overall, it's all the same. It all has the same outcome. We're all basically on equal footing. There is a level when you look at humanity as a whole. Yes, we are all are on the same footing. We all have hearts that are wickedly deceptful. We have a propensity 
to evil and malevolence. It's inside of each and every human being. But the constitution of a society, the way that a society is structured and the ideas that inform that structure actually have a vast difference on the outcomes that that society will have. And we we witness this throughout socialistic or, or socialism or communism. When you take the ideas of communism and you apply it to a society, you see the outcome. The same thing when it comes to capitalism. When you apply the ideas of capitalism to a society, you see the outcome. What's the outcome of communism? Poverty, mass destruction, mass starvation. It's happened every time. What is the outcome of of ideas like capitalism? The, The freedom to work and to keep what you make? Well, the ideas from that is the, the reduction of poverty, lifting billions of people out of poverty over the last hundred years. Different ideas do have different fruits and different outcomes. But when we take like Jen Psaki is doing right here, saying, well, they just have to decide who they want to be at, at the table of the international community. That's implying that we're all on equal footing, that their ideas about women or women's rights or or girls or freedom of of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of thought, that, well, they're all pretty much the same. Well, apparently not all people think that they're the same. Of course, the West, uh, especially as we've embraced postmodernism, as we have embraced globalism, we say, well, it's all the same. It's, you know, we're all just making it together, whatever, whatever your relative truth is, is your relative truth. But when you live in the country, when you live in the situation, it becomes much different. Here is a clip from NPR talking about the, the status on the ground uh, in Afghanistan. In the areas the Taliban have conquered, though, it all looks a little too familiar to most Afghans. The Taliban have not changed at all in their conduct on the ground. Hussein Haqqani is a former Pakistani ambassador to the U.S. who is now at the Hudson Institute. So in the areas that the Taliban have been controlling over over the last weeks, we see that it has not changed. It has not changed since the 90s. So they've they've brilliantly figured out how to rebrand themselves, how to put a new face on the Taliban, thanks to multiculturalism, you know, what, what seat at the table do you want to have now that you, you're buddy, buddy up with the, the powers of the West? You know, just let us know, you know, what sort of font you want and you'll be fine. It doesn't matter what's actually in the package. It doesn't matter what the outplay actually is as long as you play along with the game. They have been executing people summarily. They have been lashing uh, women. They have been shutting down schools. They have been blowing up hospitals. Uh, The only thing that has changed is that they understand the need for a little more international acceptance of them. The last time they were in power, the Taliban were isolated from much of the rest of the global community. The U.S. has spent the past few years hammering out a peace deal with them. And in recent weeks, Taliban leaders have been to Iran, Russia, and China. Maria Afsal is a fellow in foreign policy at the Brookings Institution. This sends a problematic message because it essentially legitimizes them without them having to engage in a reduction in violence or 
obviously better still a ceasefire. Now, this this might be one of the biggest mistakes that President Donald Trump made. And this is a little off the cuff, but the one of the biggest mistakes he might have made is normalizing relations with uh, the Afghan, now the Afghan government. And just as they're seen in this clip, the, the Taliban normalizing relationships with the Taliban government, excuse me, the, the Taliban has gone to Russia, has gone to Iran, has gone to China, and they've begun to normalize all of these relationships, which really have, have paved a way for this sweeping of, of Afghanistan. Now, President Biden tried to lay this catastrophe at the feet of Donald Trump saying, you know, I inherited this deal from uh, 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 my predecessor. And uh, because, uh, you know, because of that, it's really not my fault. But then he also said, I'm not going to pass this on to another president. He's the fourth president to, to have this war and he's not going to pass it on, which is great. I don't think anyone wants to see the war passed on for for another four years. No one is saying that. But I don't think anyone wanted to see America just jump ship and and let the people who have been resisting or the women or the children who have been going to work or s setting up schools for young girls. We don't want to see them put at risk, their lives put in danger because of uh, President Biden deciding just to pull to pull people out full force. I don't know what the, the deal was between Trump and and maybe his plans of how he would have pulled it out, but I have a feeling knowing uh, what we know about President Donald Trump, former President Donald Trump, that he probably would not have been uh, so maybe not reckless, but just so, laissez-faire about it, just so weak about it. He loves to make sure that America looks strong. And because of that, I have a feeling he wouldn't let this, this happen the way that it has. But instead, we have President Biden. And Biden has said, you know what? This isn't my fault. This is Trump's fault. I'm not going to take responsibility with the way that we handled it out, uh, handled pulling out. I'm, I don't regret it. And uh, we're just going to get our, our people out of Afghanistan. And lo and behold, even though he said it's going to look nothing like Vietnam, it is exactly like Vietnam. Well, some more people on the ground about the, the, the stance that Afghanistan or that uh, the Taliban really want to have at the international community. As we've heard, women are, are being lashed. People are being uh, painted in black-faced and tarred and toured around the cities after being beaten and, and lashed to, to serve them a sentence. Uh, people who've been accused of stealing have been, as this happened to, executions have been happening across Afghanistan by the Taliban. So when you ask yourself, well, what place do they want at the table? What sort, of, what sort of reputation do they want to have? Well, they want to have one reputation at the international table, and they want to run the country in, in a very different way. Here is Mahaboob uh, Sarji. From the contacts you've been able to speak to around Afghanistan, just tell us how women are faring in the cities that have fallen to the Taliban. Uh, the situation is extremely bad. 
the women that I have been talking to or they are reporting to us, especially the human rights defenders or the civil society members or just the ordinary people that they were working in offices, uh, they are all um, uh, leaving uh, most of these places, um, especially from Honduras area. And they are trying to get to some safe places wherever they are. Some of them are trying to come to Kabul or go to Mazar Sharif with their families. So the situation is extremely bad. And, one, and what makes me really extremely, um, how shall I say, very sad is the fact that now Afghanistan and the lives of the Afghan people has become a subject of the Twitters of the world and, the, and, and just, you know, uh, places like the United Nations, or they're all, you know, tweeting now about Afghanistan, and that's all they're going to be doing about it. Yeah, it's... and that is that is, and everybody is just watching to see what's going to be happening. I don't know what it is that they're all expecting that is mm. going to happen in Afghanistan. Well, I think, Mr. It... I, this, she is so right here. It is Afghanistan has moved from actionable steps that can be taken to help. Afghan people, and arguably some of it wasn't good. Arguably there were mistakes made, but here this this Afghan woman is saying, now it's it's just going to be something that gets tabled at the UN, and it's just going to get shuffled and buried underneath global warming. It's going to get shuffled and buried against uh, the LGBTQ rights across the globe. It's going to be shuffled and buried as another line item. That, that people are going to pontificate about as very little will end up getting done for the Afghan people. Is it the death of all of us that they want? I don't understand it. I really don't understand. The situation is very bad. I, I certainly appreciate how upset you are uh, by this, Ms. Siraj. I'm sure that many people are wishing the people of Afghanistan all the very best and hoping that the government... And she has a point here. Is, is it the death? Is it the death of of the Afghan people the, that you want? Of the, all of us that they want? I don't understand it. I really don't. Well, she goes on in this interview with TRT World, and she just lays into the, the, the ruling elite of the world who are really just using Afghanistan as a pawn in their own game, not seeming to not seeming to take care and to consider or use empathy or, or use caution when it comes to the, the health and safety of the, the most vulnerable Afghan people. <laughs> to those world readers, I'm going to say really shame on you. I'm going to say to the whole world, shame on you for, for what you did to Afghanistan. Why did you have to do what you did? And why are you doing this to this part of the world? I don't get it. I mean, are you, are you using all of us? Are we being just the pawns in your hands? Is that what it is? I don't understand it. But I really, really, you know, the fact that we don't have any hopes from you and the fact that I really, I don't even want to talk to you at all because the, the talking time is over. We talked to you, we demanded, we asked, we, we, we did everything and, 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 and nobody paid any attention. They just made decisions with their gut feelings or whatever. Um, all of these men of the world that they are in power and they are destroying what's something that we worked so hard for. What is happening in Afghanistan today is going to put this country 200 years back again. And how are we going to do that? 
again, again, for me, I'm not going to see anything good about this generation. I'm, I'm going to be gone. I won't even see my country doing what it's supposed to be doing. Not only me, but a whole lot of other people. Even for the young generation, what are we going to do? Now there's going to be an exodus of the Afghans again leaving this country. So what are we going to do? We are going to sit again and fight again and lose again and then make another generation and then for, for the world to make another stupid decision and destroy us all? Is this what it is going on? I don't understand it. This Mahbuba, this lady, she's right. That this is putting this nation 200 years back, not just 20 years back. It's just, it's this vicious, endless cycle of atrocity and war. As she said, all the Afghan people, the, the educated people, the ones who were working to develop the nation, the ones that were working to develop childhood education for young girls, to develop society they're going to leave and they are leaving they are fleeing what happens to a nation what happens to the youth and as she rightly put is it just are they just pawns to be used by the the powers of the world just in one day and out the next without any regard for the the millions of lives that are on the line It is, it is shocking days. It is shocking days that we are in. We are, are truly in, in, in incredible days in the earth. We are in the midst of a, a shift of times and seasons across the globe. And, and obviously this started back in 2020 with everything that was happening, the globalization that's happening, but we're also seeing a, a massive shifts of, of power and a swing of power, uh, which seems to be away from America into China, into Russia. Uh, we, are, we are in an epoch shift, and we see it right now in the Middle East. We see it with deals being made between Israel and UAE and Bahrain. We see it with an increase of conflict between, between uh, Gaza and Hamas and Israel. We see it in Afghanistan with the Taliban coming back to power, what this all means, where this all heads, we will, we will see in the future. Well, this show, it's brought to you by listeners like you. Uh, this show is not sponsored by mega sponsors, but it is empowered by, by people who get value out of the show. And if you're listening 40 minutes in, I assume that you got some sort of value out of this episode. And I would ask that you'd Consider giving value back to the show and the value that you have received it because that enables us to continue producing this content and, inshallah, making it better for you, the listener. And thousands of people tune into the show every month to help them understand the arguments and the schemes that are being set up against them and how that they can view the world, organize their personal lives and their family lives so that they can uncover the purpose and own their future. So you can give by visiting lucasscrobot.com and you can give your hard, cold fiat there, or you can get a podcast certified 2.0 app where you can stream Bitcoin as you listen. And some of the, the great things about 
some of these new podcast apps, which is as you listen, the, the image on the podcast changes. So for instance, when we were talking about the, the helicopters in and out of Vietnam and of Afghanistan, you would have seen a change in the image and actually seen the comparison between those two image. so, images. So I highly suggest if you are not listening on a podcasting 2.0 certified app that you visit newpodcastapps.com to find a app that fits you and fits your knees. Well, don't go away. We'll be right back with our closing Weaver and Loom segment. Welcome back to Weaver Loom, a part of the show where we take ancient wisdom and we weave it in with our everyday lives so that we can own our future and weave our destiny. Well, today's quote comes from the one and only Sun Tzu, the art of war. I mean, what would be... It would be wrong of us not to include a quote today from The Art of War, since we're talking about uh, the falling of the U.S. military in Afghanistan. It's it's not just that they retreated. Uh, when you look at the way this all happened, but it was a, a clear a clear loss. So no no better place to turn than the art of war. And this quote is the supreme art of war is to subdue the enemy without fighting. The supreme art of war is to subdue the enemy without fighting. Now, it certainly seems like the Afghanistan uh, Taliban army really nailed that one. I mean, they, they, they figured out how to hide and, and use guerrilla warfare and uh, evade the Afghan Afghan troops, the American troops, and the Taliban or the the NATO troops, excuse me, for 20 years, they they slept, they just waited it out for 20 years, as they have been doing for hundreds of years. The Afghan people are warring people. They 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 <laughs> they kicked the Russians out. They lost there, and the Americans, as I said, it was a fool's errand for them to go in and think that they could win. Now there were gains that happened, as we saw, you know. Even from Mahbuba, as she described that we have lost so much now with with these world superpowers just saying, nah, we're done with you. Not nah, fend for yourselves. Good luck. After fighting fighting for 20 years, after and it's not just like Americans came in and fought for 20 years or NATO came in, but the Afghan people fought for their own land. They fought for their own people side by side with American troops and NATO troops. And Australian troops for 20 years, UK troops for 20 years. And as she said, it's like, what now, now you just abandoned us and all of the, all of the lives that were sacrificed for, for freedom of, as I said, freedom of religion, freedom of, uh, of equal rights for women and young girls to be able to go to school and be educated. Those are all going to be wiped off the board in t- it happened in two weeks, wiped off the board. So the, the Taliban, they were able to hold their breath, wait for the right moment, move the right chess pieces, get the right, the right influence, the right international recognition from, from nations like America, Russia, China, Iran, so that 
in the inevitable day that America would finally leave, they were, would be able to subdue the enemy without fighting. And they did. They walked straight into the capital and they were given the keys to the kingdom without a fight. So hand clap to the Taliban for winning the, the Supreme Art of War medal. Uh, you win. Absolutely. They, I mean, <laughs> clear as day. They're, it took them 20 years. They realized, you know, the, the, the quote before, the, the proverb before this Sun Tzu quote, it says, hence, to fight and conquer in all your battles is not supreme excellence. In this translation, it says, supreme excellence consists of breaking the enemy's resistance without fighting. And this is what the Taliban did. They said, you know what? We're not going to win all of our battles because that's not supreme excellence, but we are going to break Americans' resistance without fighting. And they, it took them 20 years to do it, but nearly 20 years to the day, they did. They did. So if, if we were handing out medals on this show, the Taliban would get the medal for the supreme art of war. Well, that's all for today's episode. You can get more out of this show by sharing the show with other people. You don't, you don't even have to send the actual podcast to someone, but when you talk about it, when you talk about it with your friends, families, coworkers, it actually causes you to build community. When people send me podcasts or shows, I always feel loved. It makes me know that they are thinking of me. So build your community, share this content, and, and build a language around around cultural pillars to be one aware what's happening in the world so that you can guard yourself from the schemes that are aiming to take you your family and your community out because it is when we pursue truth when we continue to seek out truth that is a thing that opens up the door to understand the world, and if we can understand the world, we can figure out how to navigate through it, much like the Taliban did. They figured it out, and they they now own Afghanistan, that's for sure. So go out this week and own your future. <laughs>